Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The values which are seeing us through the pandemic, where, where things are going right, are labor values. And they're the values that will see us through the recovery as well recognising the power of government to make a difference to people's lives, recognising that no one should be left behind in the pandemic, but no one held back during the recovery as well. Okay, so recording. Hello, lovely people of podcasts, and welcome to the show. You're with Catherine Murphy, and the show is Australian Politics Live, and uh, with me in the podcast is... Someone who's missed their cue. Oh, that was a cue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a cue. Anthony Albanese. Welcome. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having us, Catherine. Uh, there is a load of stuff to talk about, but I want to start with something that is, well, slightly left field, but I suspect might be a common experience of both of us in the strange times of the pandemic. I've been very conscious because obviously journalists need to get, keep governments accountable. That's that's very important, the, the hints in the name, journalist. Uh, also, opposition, hints in the name, need to keep governments accountable. But I've just noticed there's a real um, difference among readers at the moment. There are readers who want accountability 24-7, all the questions asked, all the time, and then there are other readers who express some discomfort with this. In, I had a note from a guy this week, lovely bloke, said to me, um, you know, why don't you write something positive and affirming? Uh, and, it, and, it's, and it was hard to know how to respond to that because <laughs> how do you write something positive and affirming from my vantage point? Anyway, long preamble, opposition in the time of COVID. What, how do you find it? Well, it's not business as usual. And uh, today is, of course, the 75th anniversary of the, the end of World War II. That was a time whereby the country came together and united and everyone was focused in, in one direction. And to some extent, I think there's an analogy with how people feel now. Uh, people are anxious. They're concerned. They want governments to succeed uh, because they know that it will have a direct impact on their health and on their standard of living if they don't. So it, it isn't uh, the normal political uh, environment. Environment. Well, no. Well, that's and, and the, that's the point. So people want governments to succeed, right? So that's so. Then where does that put you in? 
in the firmament? I think what that does is mean that we have to be constructive. So we have to be prepared to hold the government to account, even if that is sometimes uncomfortable, even if sometimes say, no, you, you should be all singing from the same song sheet. And so we have done that, uh, put forward uh, constructive ideas, uh, some of which have been taken up, some of which haven't. Uh, but I, I think that's the key of what people are looking for, but it is difficult. There are some people, uh, including some of our base, who just want us to criticise everything every day. Uh, but others uh, will say to me, uh, good on you for working together. Um, the slogan in terms of we're all in this together is more than a slogan. It's actually something that we need to do. And to my mind, one of the things that that we've tried to do is to point out that where the Morrison government has got things right, it's because they have, in some areas, done things which are deeply uncomfortable for them. Uh, they have recognised that there is such a thing as society. The whole spirit of uh, collective, basically, mm. of, of... Well, social capital is... Yeah, recognising that... Uh, we are all interrelated. There is such a thing as to say we do have to look after each other. We do have to look after the vulnerable as an end in it in itself, but also if we don't, there are consequences for everyone. So, for example, putting homeless people up in hotels, not something that would be at the top of the Liberal Party agenda as a matter of course. It's also meant that in the way that the parliament has dealt with uh, the economic packages, uh, we have said very clearly up front we will uh, support the packages whilst reserving our right to be critical of a range of measures, as we have in some cases being successful in terms of wage subsidies being adopted, in other cases uh, like superannuation, uh, not being successful, but not being in a position to block uh, all of the changes is something that I think most people have understood. Uh, the idea that we would, uh, for example, when the wage subsidies and job seeker uh, both had in them uh, end time dates of the end of September, and Scott Morrison was talking about snapback, uh, we clearly indicated that we were concerned about that. But to vote against it uh, would have meant that none of it happened. There were no wage subsidies. There would have been uh, many more people on the unemployment queue. And after all, wage subsidies were something that Labor argued for and indeed the coalition opposed at the very beginning of this pandemic. What, did, what about, um, uh, you know, you mentioned some feedback, right, um, that, uh, you know, that, some, that people want the government to succeed, others want different things, right? Um, obviously, during this pandemic, the whole structure of governance that Scott Morrison set up, the National Cabinet with the, with the Premiers, was designed from the get-go to exclude opposition leaders. That was the price of entry for the Premiers in the middle of March when they had that frenzied conversation in the football stadium back then, right? Uh, yes, we, we'll create this sort of unity government, for want of a better term, right, um, but no opposition leaders. So the whole structure is designed to exclude you. Do When you get out and about in the community, do people 
are, are people listening to your messages? Are they conscious that you're participating in the debate? Because I'm very conscious that the the structure of the governance excludes you. So what, what what's the feedback? I Look, an honest assessment is that it is more difficult for us to cut through in the current climate. Uh, it That's just a fact. And uh, that can be a source of frustration when people say things like, why haven't you raised the issues with aged care, an issue that I've been raising each and every day, uh, when people say, oh, well, what, what have you contributed? Uh, it can be frustrating. If you look at the measures that, that we said uh, should happen, that Scott Morrison resisted, everything from uh, travel issues, we were he shut down China, but people were streaming in from the US and other places, then spreading out uh, to uh, the respective regional cities or other capital cities uh, through the major uh, capital city airports without even temperature testing. We were raising that issue. We were raising the need to test more people. We were raising the issue of, of lockdowns, the need to, to lock things down uh, when he was opposing it. Scott Morrison was opposing school closures. He was opposing uh, the border closures and was particularly critical only of uh, Labor premiers, in particular in uh, in WA and Queensland. And then when Gladys Berejiklian closed down the borders, no problem. Uh, we raised the issue, of course, of wage subsidies, paid pandemic leave, uh, the issue of snapback we were critical of, and, but, of course, but, but Parliament it- as well, where, where originally... Uh, of course, Scott Morrison cancelled Parliament for six months. Mm. Uh, on all of those issues, we have pursued our agenda and uh, and changed the government's view. Now we haven't got a lot of credit for that. Well, well, that so be it. Uh, our job is to make a practical difference to people's lives, and we said that you have to look after health, and then you have to look after the economic consequence of uh, looking after the former because it was inevitable that there would be a uh, an economic cost to making sure that health concerns were uh, front and centre. Again, you say it's frustrating at, at times and you haven't got a lot of credit, but so what, because this is a crisis and, and, and Labor is showing up to be as constructive as it's possible to be while raising issues that you think are legitimate in terms of flaws in the government strategy, right? But like, what, you know, when, when you're in the pub, well, not that you are, but you know what I mean, where, when you're wandering about, uh, what do people say to you? Do they say, do, have they heard your messages or have they not heard your messages? I'm genuinely curious yeah, about this. People, um, it, it, it's mixed. So that people who are less engaged in politics are very positive, I think they recognise that we are trying to be constructive, uh, consistent with what I've said about being the Labor leader, not the opposition leader. Uh, they recognise that we've been out there raising issues of concern and, and the feedback is quite positive. Uh, the truth is that that some of uh, the base who want us to oppose everything, you know, why don't you just vote against everything is one. It's the job of the opposition to oppose um, is is a view out there and I understand it, I get it. Um, and in part, um, people are frustrated as well. They can see that 
your reference to the national cabinet. They can see that the uh, national leader meets with the state leaders. It doesn't actually have the authority of a cabinet process, of course, as we all know. Uh, then uh, Scott Morrison does a press conference, says what the state leaders have all agreed to. You know, it is uh, Gladys Berejiklian and Daniel Andrews who were arguing for restrictions like on schools, for example, was a big source of disagreement uh, with uh, with the federal government early. Uh, the federal government, we were contacting, uh, I was contacting Scott Morrison directly about uh, my experience of going to Sydney Airport and being shocked, frankly, that people were waiting on in, uh, in the Rex Lounge uh, to uh, go uh, to various regional centres throughout New South Wales who just got off planes from the US, from the Philippines, from wherever, without so much as a temperature mm. check. And how did he respond? Oh, well, that it was all okay. That was what they were saying at the time in terms of the medical advice. It didn't It didn't pass the uh, the common sense test for me that uh, those international borders uh, were so porous. And, of course, we know what happened with Ruby Princess as well. So this is a federal government whereby I think over a period of time there are a range of uh, characteristics that uh, were there before the pandemic that the pandemic isn't hiding. One of those is the gap between what it promises and what it actually delivers. Uh, another is its capacity to play the blame game. I mean, since 1901, uh, the Commonwealth are responsible for our borders. I mean, how the Ruby Princess circumstance, they think they can get away with saying it's nothing to do with us, even though there were federal officials on there. Scott Morrison is blocking federal officials from giving evidence to the inquiry that's been set up by the New South Wales Liberal government is quite extraordinary. I gave a vision statement in in the parliament before what was supposed to be Budget Day in May. And I really thought when we were putting that together, this would be our statement before Josh Frydenberg stood up the next day and outlined a plan going forward. So we had in that uh, talk about uh, the need to have industry policy and energy policy. We spoke about public housing and social housing investment. We spoke about uh, secure work and how uh, the casualisation of the workforce had exposed some of the weaknesses in the economy. The decline of manufacturing had been exposed by the fact that we didn't have uh, PPE, uh, personal protective equipment and other basic uh, things here. Uh, that we had to change uh, what we were manufacturing as the pandemic uh, was uh, was was happening, um, and yet from the government we've had we've had nothing. Uh, essentially, it's you know back to leave it to the market. Even industrial relations changes that they're now trying to the emergency measures which unions cooperated with. Scott Morrison said he would set up a. a dialogue and he was going to consult with, remember Sally McManus was besties with Christian Porter and they were going to sit down and now what we see is them trying to impose as, as essentially some of uh, the, the, the more um, emergency level IR changes 
at the expense of the unions, including to companies that are posting record profits, mm. which some of them are at the moment. But what about though? Um, you know, you've 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 outlined a list of um, of problems there, uh, problems in the response, problems in the way things have been implemented. Uh, the gap, as you put it, between what the government says and what it delivers. Uh, you know, these things are reasonably obvious at at, at close range, uh, but yet the Prime Minister maintains a, an, a personal approval rating in the order of 65%, which any, any leader would kill for, really, in any circumstances. Um, but which most leaders have got. Well, no, no, no. Well, that's that's absolutely right. Uh, although Daniel Andrews is obviously well, both Daniel Andrews and Gladys Berejiklian have have come off their their peaks during the pandemic. Although, funnily enough, Andrews is holding up relatively well given, given what's happening in Victoria. But I'm just making a point, right? Um, Morrison has um, a, an approval rating in that order, and you guys are, as we've been exploring in this conversation not through want of effort, but structurally locked out of a normal political, well, conditions. I mean, that's a stupid word, but you know what I mean. It's like it's not politics sure, as parliament usual. Parliament's not cancelled. sitting, all of that sort of stuff, right? So then the question becomes for the opposition leader, um, you know, how do you respond? Do you just do you chip away on issues uh, and, and just assume the cycle corrects itself? Um, you know, do you muscle up? Because obviously, uh, you know, Labor has been much more, I mean, I, I agree, I think you've been chipping away the whole time, but there has been an acceleration, particularly over the last couple of weeks on aged care, which I think most people are not seeing because you've kind of, you've, you've sort of locked out of, for reasons we've been discussing, right? So, like, what what is... You you must run these ideas through your head all the time, Anthony, in terms of how you position yourself with all of these complexities, right? Some people want us to oppose everything. Some people want us to be, you know, a government of national unity. Um, we keep saying these things. We don't get credit for them. You know, how do you put this all together? What is the approach? Sure. Look, if, if it was easy, then I wouldn't <laughs> be the opposition leader. Um, the truth is, though, that I think that the the values which are seeing us through the pandemic, where where things are going right, are labour values, and they're the values that will see us through the recovery as well. Recognising the power of government to make a difference to people's lives, recognising that no one should be left behind in the recovery, but no one held in the pandemic, but no one held back during the recovery as well. So I think in terms of uh, you know, a, a, a massive mistake a few weeks ago, I think, was but it exposed the real thinking. When Josh Frydenberg said that his inspiration for the recovery were Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. Mm. Prime Minister you know, got a bit cranky with him that, for saying uh, that. Well, because someone actually said something. You know, most of what Scott Morrison has been doing is not saying much. Uh, and But the prejudices of the coalition are all there. Why is it that the arts sector have been left behind? Why is it that the university sector has been left behind? And even when, even when the Prime Minister speaks about arts, it's straight off a focus group. I mean, everything is market tested. And we had the, the, the polling company 
that works for the Liberal Party in Tasmania actually doing a poll uh, about whether Teddy Sheehan should be given a VC, even though there'd been uh, a recommendation by the Independent Tribunal clearly found that that should have happened. Everything's market tested, even the names of, you know, job keeper, job seeker, home builder, et cetera. When you look at the actual delivery in terms of uh, home builder, for example, most states can't even apply for it. Uh, The idea that there'll be all this additional investment is, I think, just plain wrong because people don't have $150,000 in a bottom drawer to suddenly renovate their their home. Uh, so I think it's a matter of uh, just uh, staying the course, being clear about what labour values are. And one of labour's values is as well to be constructive. And sometimes uh, that is more difficult. Some people say, oh, the, the, the model of an opposition leader is Tony Abbott. No, that's the model of a destructive reactionary opposition leader who doesn't care about institutions, who doesn't care about the impact that it has on going forward. And what's more, if you behave like that in opposition, you will behave like that when you come into government. I think that's one of the problems with this government is that they they came into office in 2013 knowing what they're against, which was Labor and and uh, and everything we stood for, but they didn't have a plan to actually govern. I, I think in terms of, uh, you know, I'm someone who, uh, you know, listens to people, engages with people, but also uh, acts on gut instinct. It's the right thing to do um, to be constructive at this point in time. Now, there is a bit of a political cost to doing that, but... Uh, we're about saving lives too. We're about minimising the impact because one of the things about the economic uh, consequences of this pandemic is it's uneven. The people who get hurt are the people who always get hurt. Uh, who who are the most vulnerable? Mm. They're the people in the most marginalised employment sectors. You know, we, we cannot dismiss that. It's the people. Yeah. who were queuing in those long queues outside Centrelink, who we have a responsibility to represent. Yeah, but, uh, okay, let's. You've, you've sort of semi-crystallised the question here, really, with that last description. You, you say you're not going to be Tony Abbott, uh, that, that there are, that that, 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 well, I mean, you didn't say puts a cancer in the system, but, it, but that it creates consequences beyond the election cycle in which you want to dominate, right? But then we're going to get to a point in the election cycle, aren't we, where, um, you know, you've, you've talked about Scott Morrison's capacity to market test, to, um, you know, put a sort of um, a, a pleasing sounding ideas out into the marketplace and, in fact, reflecting back the country to itself. That's what Morrison is very good at. He's like, he's a mirror. It's 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 hard to get, it's hard to get a glove on him. In your in um, my setup's different, but I'm talking about oppositionism at this point, right? It's hard to get a glove on him because he reflects the country back at itself. So, at a certain point in the cycle, um, you know, Labor is 
you've basically said, I've been constructive as an opposition leader because I'm a Labor leader and because the country needs it. But at a certain point between now and the next election, there's going to be pressure in your own show to crash through and cut through. So are you saying to me that when that pressure starts to build up in the system, just because closer people get to elections, the more worried people get, the government people will be worried, your people will be worried, pressure will build up in the system. So you're saying as that pressure starts to build up, you will always err on the side of what the country needs rather than, you know, crashing through to some sort of victory. Well, no, well, I'll, to to use your term back that I think is, is in, in part I, I don't fundamentally disagree with, but to think that through, the idea that the Prime Minister of the country is just a mirror means that he's just a mirror at a particular point in time. That is something that explains the Scott Morrison no to border closures, school closures, uh, the uh, wage subsidies, paid pandemic leave, parliament sitting, and then changing his view. Over a period of time, it becomes obvious, I think, that, that what the country needs and what leadership is isn't just reflecting uh, what a focus group says at a particular point in time. It's about giving the country what it needs. And what it needs is a vision of a future that's more than, more than just returning to what was there or more than what people have at a particular point in time. It's actually pointing towards how we build a better Australia, how we take people forward and how we create, whether it's the economy, whether it's about social policy, whether it's about environmental policy, a, a, a framework that that is about a better Australia. We need to uh, examine the weaknesses that have been exposed by this pandemic, including the nature of work. I mean, the first vision statement I gave was about jobs and the future of work. How do we envisage where the economy go is going, going in 10 years' time, yep. what the opportunities are there, how we maximise the number of people who will benefit from those opportunities. If we just deal with the day-to-day 24-hour media cycle, which is the Morrison model and what some people would want us to do, uh, then you'll never actually be able to create uh, that picture, that vision, and then set about doing it for how we create an Australia that's fairer an Australia that provides opportunity for someone like me who's, you know, a, uh, a son of a single mum, grew up in a council house, gets to lead the Labor Party. Uh, that's the sort of uh, opportunity that I want to see for the country. That's what we're doing in the vision statements and that's what the platform work and other work that shadow ministers have been doing is as well, laying that groundwork so that at the moment, I think a majority of people out there don't want to hear, okay, what's your vision for uh, 2030? They want to hear how we get through yes. the next month. Well, that was what I was going to ask you. But like, do you think there, do you actually think a couple of, couple of things on that point, right? Basically, you're saying uh, Labor, you know, Labor's strongest suit for the next election is is presenting a set of propositions to to win the future for want of a better term, right? 
That's what you're saying. But, well, but people are better. To but, do one, one but, just a, a modification, deal with the present. We'll deal with, yeah. But in the yes. way that we deal with the present, Set create, for the future. anticipate sure. the future. Okay. Yes, well, a- absolutely. But you've got to have the bandwidth. Yeah. You, people have got to be able to, well, one, you've got to be heard, and two, people have got to have the bandwidth to take it on board. Now, I had Chris Bowen in the studio relatively recently. He said uh, one of his you know, kind of um, lessons after the election was uh, Labor's platform was way too big. Uh, sure. You know, heading for the heading for the next election, he said, "I think we should just have a handful of propositions that we um, that we that we nail and we explicate, rather than you know having a <laughs> being the government in exile. We should identify some priorities and go for them." Is that your view? Well, that's what the review found that was adopted unanimously by the ALP National Executive undertaken by Jay Weatherill and Craig Emerson. I mean, we had 284 fully costed policies. Now, the Guardian might have run stories about... I think we probably did most of them actually embarrassingly because we are those nerds. I I don't think you did. No, probably not. probably um, not. A a whole range of them uh, people didn't know anything about. And the idea that when you're door knocking, uh, you say, hi, Catherine, uh, I'm running for, for, for grain law. Let me run through this list for you of why policy. you should vote for us. Yes. Yeah. Is, is quite frankly, uh, okay. So, you know, so Labor, Okay. So, so Labor, clearly, will, Labor will narrow its focus. We will narrow our focus, okay. but it will be a clear vision uh, with a clear outline of alternatives consistent with one of the things I've said is that Labor's policies don't carry over from election to election. And one of the problems we had was that because in 2013 we got to 2016, we won some seats, so we just kept going and added. We we didn't actually take yeah, a step back. Yeah, yeah. So that, that created uh, a, an issue uh, for us. But I've said that our values are enduring. You know, what does Labor stand for? We stand for jobs and uh, not an economy as the end in itself, but one that uh, works for people, not the other way around. We stand for opportunity and aspiration, not in a a sense of we're worried about whether a a billionaire is paying more or less tax. Uh, The aspiration that allows kids of working class people to either get a trade or go to university or, or have a better life. People are pretty simple uh, in, in what they want, like what my mum wanted for me, what I want for my son. I want him to have uh, a better quality of life and he certainly has had than I had at, at, at his age. And uh, they want uh, healthcare and services to be available on the basis of need, not on the basis of wealth. We, we are unashamedly uh, people who recognise that it's not a bad thing to care for others. There is such a thing as society and on the environment uh, that we need to have uh, action on climate change, that it's an intergenerational issue. Good. So let's let's hit pause there because there is a there is a public uh, conversation uh, that is happening now with uh, frequency between your resources spokesman Joel Fitzgibbon and the Energy and Climate Change spokesman Mark Butler. 
um, uh, Fitzgibbon opened the batting by saying you needed to sue for peace on emissions reduction targets. You needed the short-term emission or the medium-term emissions reduction target to be the same as the coalition. Then at every opportunity, um, Fitzgibbon has been out making the case for, you know, the continuation of fossil fuels in various forms. That's that's what he's been saying. Uh, Butler has been saying um, we're, we're not going to sue for peace on the medium-term emissions, reductions target, emissions reduction target. Uh, we are going to maintain ambition in climate policy. So who, who do we believe? Uh, what we believe is that, that the Labor platform, and it has been Labor's vision Ever since we participated way back at Rio and previous forums that led to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, that it is an existential threat, that we do need to take it seriously, and that uh, the position that I've outlined is very clear, which is that action on climate change will actually create jobs and, and lower energy prices, uh, that we need to take climate change seriously. I'm the... Environment. I was the environment and climate change spokesperson who wrote with Kim Beasley the climate change blueprint in 2006. Uh, that is what led to, for example, the 20% by 2020 renewable energy target. I but, people but, would agree that that has been the most successful measure. A, no, no, that's all. That's fine. I'm, and I'm not asking you to, about your own record because your own record is clear. You, you're the leader of the Labor Party at the moment, and you've got a hammer and tongs happening between two people in shadow portfolios. Uh, the, the Labor Party, from time to time, Broadchurch, uh, will have friends. Will have people who who are out there. They're passionate about policy and about making. A difference. I, I, that's fine. I, I think that there's too much straitjacket in politics. I think there should be more open discussion about things. But at the end of the day, someone wins and someone loses. So who's going to win and who's going to lose? Labor will always take climate change seriously. I've announced the net zero emissions by 2050. All of the policies that a Labor government that I lead uh, would implement would be consistent with that. So... How about Fitzgibbon saying this week, as he did, um, that nice Nev Power, the uh, chairman of the uh, National COVID Commission, uh, he's produced a report on gas brackets that we haven't seen, uh, uh, but we, uh, but we're, we're totally on board with that. Is the Labor Party totally on board with that? Well, we haven't even seen the report. Uh, it hasn't been released, and it is quite outrageous that Scott Morrison is uh, the expert at this contracting out. He's contracted out. Uh, things to the states through the national cabinet process. He's contracted out uh, industrial relations reform to this uh, series of uh, uh, committees which the ACTU are participating in. And here he's contracted out to the, the NCCC, uh, this body uh, that uh, are being paid uh, by the Commonwealth. They're not public servants. They all come into uh, their positions with all of their history and all of their background. So it's not surprising that a committee chaired by Nev Power would come up with very gas predictable... Gas-led recovery. <laughs> with, with Who saw that coming? <laughs> with predictable response. But the Australian people aren't allowed to see it because somehow this is cabinet incompetence. Bear in mind, I, I, I do think that, uh, that Scott Morrison has... Uh, we we're talking before about frustration. I, I think that 
Scott Morrison getting away with having a cabinet committee of one, which is him, uh, so that anything to do with him is somehow cabinet in confidence is just is just unbelievable. Uh, but uh, here, uh, the fact is that that uh, IEMO, the uh, Australian Energy Market uh, operator, operator, the guys who run the grid, the guys well, I mean, who it's, run it's, the it's grid. a woman these days actually, not, not the guys, the, the but guys anyway. and the girls, yeah, uh, who run the grid have come up with a 20-year plan, the integrated system plan. Now, under all of the scenarios, what they say is that by 2040, gas will be about 1% of the total electricity market, the total. That's what they say. And all of their scenarios suggest that it's renewables with storage that will make the, the real difference. That's where the expansion will be. That's where the market will be. And that uh, indeed, there's other prospects for green hydrogen and other potentials which are, are there. So gas is an important part of uh, the the market. Uh, but if you look at where the growth is going to be, the people who actually run the energy sector, and this is a body, this is a body established under Coag that operates, uh, has continued to operate, hasn't been destroyed. Uh, by this government. Um, and you had uh, one of the leaks of this report is the idea of a gas pipeline from the West Coast to the East Coast. Mm. Now, that is not new. There's nothing new about that. It's a bit like, you know, the uh, I quite like the uh, the plans that have been uh, done by I think it's the, the the chaser at one stage had a plan to tilt Australia either west east or north south that you know we can solve the water problem by just running everything down. We're a big continent. Uh, this would require a study was done eighteen months ago by ACL Allen, and they found that it would require billions of dollars of subsidy. So you'd spend billions of dollars uh, building this. Uh, this pipeline mm, sure. from, the, from the west to the east, it would then require a massive uh, subsidy, uh, and at the, uh, which is well, why the market, which is why the market uh, will uh, will determine these issues or should, and then you will end up with common sense solutions. Well, then, okay, that's a, a, why. Then why is you, why is Fitzgibbon out saying we'll accept a report we haven't seen? Well, the, the Labor Party's position, I speak for the Labor Party, and the Labor Party's position is we examine things based upon uh, the detail. And uh, if the rumours are right as well, that this report suggests that uh, gas uh, would be viable at, uh, at $4 a gigajoule, that's below the production cost. So you're looking at, an, uh, again, an ongoing uh, subsidies. Well, so, taxpayers well, are massively on the hook for, you know, keeping gas prices yeah. at, yeah, so yeah. anyway. Look, we, we will have a look at the detail, but uh, it, it's very clear that what we actually need in this policy is an, in this country is an energy policy framework. Now, I wrote to Scott Morrison constructively. It was a four-page letter. Uh, it outlined, I think, a series of principles, what we would do what we wouldn't do as well, so I ruled out uh, nuclear energy yep. for Australia yep. and made it clear. Uh, but what it would do is allow for different 
targets at particular times to be implemented based upon, from our perspective, based upon the science and what the experts told us was required to reach that net zero emissions. Um, Scott Morrison hasn't even bothered to respond to that. Uh, Josh Frydenberg went on radio or TV the next uh, morning at 8am and dismissed it. Let's say, I mean, we could keep going. We, we definitely could, but we shouldn't because we're, we're way over time. But let's, um, uh, you put Kim Beasley in my head. Let's let's end here. Um, you know, we've seen, um, you know, I've, I've spoken about that dynamic in within Labor, whether or not everybody can keep their heads ahead of an election. Everybody can remain on the same page. A cynical person would say we've seen a bit of a beauty parade along the right in your show of people just positioning themselves for future opportunities. It's all visible, interesting. Kim Beasley, um, you know, a Labor man, Labor values, viewed universally as a decent and nice man, was nonetheless run down by Kevin Rudd in the lead up to an election. Uh, do you think you will lead Labor to the next election? Uh, I know I will. I know I will and I know that we will win the next election. I actually think in terms of where uh, Labor uh, finds ourselves, uh, in terms of uh, the positioning of where the debate is, think about the coalition and what they normally run on. They run on debt and deficit scare campaigns. We can run the economy well. You know, where's their surplus? Uh, where where is their their management of the economy? We've got a million unemployed. We've got people being left behind. We have no plan from this government in terms of energy policy is a good example whereby what business is crying out for, look at uh, the zero net emissions targets supported by the BCA, by Australian Industry Group, by Aki. Well, everyone except the every academic, the everyone except for- I think this, even the Minerals Council supports it th- this, this government where, where, you know, they allow people like uh, Craig Kelly out there with these cuckoo plans and the uh, the Prime Minister won't even dissociate himself from that. Now, we've already had a test at the peak of what should have been the government's powers during a pandemic. We had a by-election. The government spent uh, double what we spent on that by-election. They spent pretty close to $1.5 million. You were here in, you live in Canberra. You could not turn on a TV without getting saturation ads in the Canberra market, Illawarra, Wagga Wagga, all in Edmonero. We had the retirement of a popular uh, local member uh, in Mike Kelly. We had a new candidate. They were running the same candidate they ran just a year ago so could continue on with uh, the name recognition advantages that come with someone running for the second time. We had a great candidate in Christy McBain, but we also had a circumstance whereby because it wasn't near the next federal election, we couldn't say, vote for us and we'll do this next month. But the and, point, the point we of won. raising, yeah. The point. And we won. Yeah, we won under circumstances whereby Make no mistake about the timing of some of the government's national security announcements that they made as well, designed to feed in 
to that campaign and and they couldn't uh, get elected to a seat, which, by the way, on the current boundaries, at no stage except for when Mike Kelly's been the candidate, including throughout the Hawke and Keating governments, does Labor win Eden Monero on the current boundaries. This is a seat where every state and state seat within the boundaries is a safe Liberal and National Party seat. Now, if they couldn't convince people at that time, what that shows is that when people are actually confronted with uh, thinking through uh, who is best to represent them as well as the weaknesses, and one of the issues in that by-election was Scott Morrison's lack of empathy and, frankly, his contempt for people when he visited places like Cabago and others and forced them to shake his hand in circumstances which uh, people, you know, may well be reminded of. We certainly did remind them of the during the by-election. People voted Labor. And during the next uh, election campaign will be about two things. One, it will be about the pandemic, yes, and in that we will be able to say we played a constructive role. Yes, wage subsidies helped uh, minimise the economic damage, but we were the ones who advocated it. Yes, in terms of health care, uh, we were the ones who were arguing for uh, stricter controls. We're the ones raising aged care and saying there was a need to have a plan for aged care. We were the ones who argued for an aged care royal commission for some time before it was actually uh, announced. All of those issues, so it will be about the pandemic, but I think on that uh, we will be in a position uh, to uh, put forward our case that we made a positive difference to people's lives. But it will also be about people vote about the future and in the future it is Labor that will have a plan for jobs We'll have a plan for secure work. We'll have a plan for climate change. We'll have a plan for regional economic development, for social policy that doesn't just leave people behind, for advancing social issues. Like like what is happening with recognition of First Nations people, of those issues as well? And so we will be able to put forward a positive agenda and this government that'll lose Matthias Cormann in December, that will, you know, have, I think, one or two other ministers running for the hills between now and the next election. At the next election, they will have been there for three terms and almost nine years, or maybe nine years, depending upon the timing of when it is. What was the point of this government? Where's their economic reform, social reform, environmental reform? They still won't have an energy policy. They'll still be blundering around, uh, trying to just uh, run scare campaigns. And I think that the Australian people will vote for a positive alternative, and I intend to present that alternative uh, whenever the election is called. Can't clear on that. Anyway, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, executive producer, and to Hannah and others who always help with cutting the show. We'll be back next week.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.